thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. Well, in 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses 11 problems that the Corinthian believers were having. He tells us what these 11 problems are, and more importantly, uh, the solution to the problems that they're having. And the first problem that we've been looking at that they have is really the biggest problem because Paul spends the most time addressing it, and that's the problem of divisions. And there were several different issues going on within the church there in Corinth that were causing divisions, and we've looked at two so far. The first was that they were exalting and following men instead of exalting and following Jesus. And the second was that they were depending on and focused on and following the wisdom of men instead of the wisdom of God. Well, here in chapter 3, Paul's going to reveal another problem that was causing division there in the church in Corinth, and that was spiritual immaturity. And so as we go through chapter 3 this morning, Paul's going to be dealing with this problem of spiritual immaturity. And as he brings that up, he's also going to look back to the two things he's just addressed, the fact that they've been following and exalting men instead of Christ and relying upon the wisdom of men instead of the wisdom of God. Uh, And so there's a lot of practical things for us this morning that we can learn from. But Paul's going to start here in chapter 3 addressing this issue of spiritual immaturity. So let's see what he's says and what we can learn from it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says this, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as a spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able, for you're still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? In most churches, you have two different groups of people. You have the spiritually mature Christians and you have the spiritually immature Christians. Those who have been walking with Jesus for a while, those who have been growing in their relationship with Jesus, are those who are spiritually mature. But then you have those who have just gotten saved or just been saved for a year or so, and naturally they're spiritually immature because they haven't had much time to develop their relationship with God. But there's also another group of people that's in the church. It's a group of people that have been saved for many years, but yet they haven't grown. They've been saved for many years, but they're not maturing in their relationship with God. And so they're still spiritually immature, even though they should be, after the length of time they've been saved, spiritually mature. The problem with the church there in Corinth is that most of them were spiritually immature. Now, for some of them, that would have been normal because they'd just gotten saved. But for many of them, the problem was they'd been saved for years, but yet their maturity level didn't match the amount of time they'd been saved. And so that's one of the big problems here that Paul addresses in these first few verses. Notice what he says in verse 1. I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. 
When Paul first came to Corinth, he started preaching the gospel like he did with every city that he went to, and people got saved. And so naturally, they were spiritual babies. They had just accepted Christ. And so, you know, he didn't speak to them in some great spiritual depth. He he spoke to them, you know, in a way that would, you know, be clear and understandable to someone who was just understanding spiritual things. And that was natural and that was normal because they just got saved. But in verse 2, he says, I fed you with milk. And not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. Paul uses an example and an illustration of an immature baby. He says, you know, I fed you milk and not solid food. When you, you know, first came to know Jesus, you were spiritually babies. And just like with a baby, I just gave you milk. I didn't give you solid food. And that's normal and that's natural for someone who's just believed in Jesus. You want to, you know, help them grow to maturity. And so that's not the problem. But there was a problem that Paul goes on to say, because he's not just speaking about new believers. He's speaking about believers who've been saved for many years. And notice what he goes on to say, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able. Here's the big problem that Paul is revealing to these Corinthian believers. When you first got saved, I fed you milk, the milk of God's word instead of the solid food of the word of God because you were babes in Christ. But now it's been years. And the problem is, I still have to feed you milk because you're still spiritually immature. You should have moved on to solid food, but you haven't. Even now, you're still not able. You're still spiritually immature babies. Paul's using this illustration of babies to help us understand kind of the the concept of what he's bringing out here. Because when a baby's born, they only get fed milk. You know, that's important. That's good. That's all they can take in. That's natural. But as they grow their diet starts to change. They go from milk to mushed up food to ultimately solid food. You know, when you see a picture like this of a baby sitting in a high chair drinking milk out of your bottle, it's normal. You look at that, you think it's cute, you think it's good, you think it's normal. There's nothing wrong with that picture at all because that's what happens. Baby drinks milk. Now, if you see a picture like this, all of a sudden you think, well, wait a second, this picture's There's something wrong with this picture when you have an adult sitting in a high chair drinking out of their bottle. You think, well, wait, whoa, 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 there's something wrong here because they should have matured. They should have no longer be in that place. When a baby's one years old still drinking milk, that's natural, that's normal. But when they turn five, 10, 20, 30, if they're still drinking out of their bottle and that's all they have, we would say there's a problem here. They're not maturing the way that they should Physically, they should have passed that stage to eating solid food. You know, I still enjoy a glass of milk, but I've gone on to solid foods myself. I've added cookies. So um, spiritually, when someone gets saved, Jerry has as well. Um, they're spiritually babies. They get fed the milk of God's word. That's normal. That's natural. But when you've been saved for a while, you got to move from the milk of the word to the solid food of the word. See, Paul refers to these Corinthian believers as babies in Christ. He's not saying that, you know, hey, you all just got saved. He's saying, hey, you're babies, but the reality is you should have matured. You should be maturing because you've been saved for years now. They were showing that they were spiritually immature babies, Paul says, by the fact that their behavior was still carnal. 
their behavior was showing that you're still very immature at seeing and how you act. And you can tell a baby versus an adult. Well, not always, but usually, you know, the, the toddlers and the temper tantrums and the behavior shows when you're a baby versus when you're adult. And, and Paul talks about this, one of the carnal things that they were doing there in verses three and four. He says, where there are envy, strife, and division, divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos. Are you not carnal? Paul's once again bringing up the issue that we saw back in chapter one, this issue of exalting men to a place that they didn't belong, where some said, oh, I'm of Paul. Others said, I'm of Apollos. Others said, I'm of Peter. Paul's saying, hey, that kind of behavior, that kind of exaltation and following of men instead of following Jesus is sinful. It's carnal. It shows that you are immature baby Christians still. Yeah, one of the things that saddens me most about the church is the fact that there are many Christians who have been saved for years, but they're still spiritually immature. They're still babies in Christ when they shouldn't be. I get so saddened when I meet a Christian and, you know, I think, oh, well, you, you must, you must have just gotten saved from your behavior, from your lifestyle, from what you're doing, and you find out they've been saved for five, for 10, for even 20 years, and you're thinking, whoa, what's going on here? Why aren't you growing? Why aren't you maturing in the Lord? You know, one of the problems that keeps people from maturing is within the church. A lot of churches aren't teaching the solid food of the word of God. And we shouldn't you know, be surprised when people aren't growing when all they get is milk or maybe not even that. You know, sadly, for a lot of churches, the, the big drive and force is, you know, what we want growth in numbers. We want more and more people and we're willing to compromise the word of God to get them. We're willing to not teach the word of God. We're willing even to abandon the word of God so more people will come. And so the focus is growth in numbers as opposed to growth in depth, growth in spiritual maturity. And so when you don't teach the solid food, the word of God, you should expect the reality that you're going to have a church full of spiritually immature people. I think an important question for each one of us to ask ourselves is, am I a mature believer or am I an immature believer? Am I a spiritual adult or am I a spiritual baby? If you've accepted Christ recently, you've been following him for a year or two, you're going to be immature spiritually, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's important to know. That's normal. That's what you should be because you've just accepted the Lord recently. You will grow. You will mature if you do some of the things that I'm going to be sharing with you this morning. So if that's you and you're spiritually immature because you just accepted Christ, nothing wrong with that. Now, for those of you who say, well, I am spiritually mature, well, well, great. You know, that's a, a wonderful thing to to be, but... um Paul here reveals two things that demonstrate to us whether or not we are a spiritually mature or immature believers. And those two things are what you feed yourself and how you act. What you feed yourself and how you act. And I want you to understand the two go hand in hand because what you feed yourself will eventually determine how you act. One of the key things to help us to grow is to become uh, to become physically healthy is what we feed ourselves. If you want to be physically healthy, you know, the, the saying that we commonly say, you are what you eat. Uh, and so if you want to be physically healthy, you want to be careful what you put in your mouth physically because it will either determine your physical being healthy or you physically being really unhealthy. Uh, as babies, they start with milk. They move on to, you know, applesauce and crushed up whatever uh, you feed them. And then ultimately they get to 
solid foods, but ultimately if they want to be healthy, they need to eat things that are healthy. Now, in the same way, if you want to be spiritually healthy, what you feed yourself spiritually is so important. Because if you're not feeding yourself spiritually in a healthy spiritual diet, you're not going to spiritually grow the way that you should. Now, when we first get saved, we're spiritual babies. Our, our diet consists of the spiritual milk of the Word of God. But as we continually grow from there, we should start to transition from the milk to the solid food of the word. And I want to note something for you. The difference between the milk of the word and the solid food of the word is one of degrees, not kind. You see, oftentimes people think that milk is dealing with the easy doctrines of the word of God and the spiritual food is dealing with the completely different doctrines that are are more difficult and, and deep. But that's not the case at all. There's no difference between the truths of a spiritual milk diet and the truths of a spiritual meat diet, except in detail and in depth. You see, every doctrine that can be taught in seminary can be taught to children, but The words that you use and the depth that you go is going to be very different with children versus seminary or Bible college students. For example, if you were to explain the atonement to children, you might just be talking about the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You make it real simple. You make it real easy for them to grasp. But yet a seminary professor, if he was talking about the atonement, he would go into greater depth. He would speak about regeneration, justification, substitution, propitiation. He would go into all these different things to help get a deeper understanding. Now, one explanation is not truer than the other. It's just the explanation to the kids would be milk. It's simpler. It's it's something that's more simplistic. And the explanation to the seminary students would be the, the solid food. It's something that goes into much greater depth. Think of it this way. All doctrines have both milk and meat elements to them. And the reason I bring that up is because as you grow spiritually, you know, it's not to, oh, I got to learn all these new doctrines. Well, you want to know what the Bible speaks of as a whole, but there's another side to it that says, you know what? I want to go deeper in the things that I've already read, the things that I've already been taught, the things that I already know, because I see too many Christians like, oh, I've already heard that. You know, let me hear something new. Well, we shouldn't just be, I've heard that already. It should be, hey, I want to get deeper in what I know and learn things that are new because I realize that, you know what, I could know it in a milk simplistic way, but do I really know it in a deep, deep way? And the reality is the more I study the Bible, the more I realize I come back to simple things like John three sixteen, and I'm blown away by there's so much more depth to it than I ever thought. I thought, oh, I got that. I understand that. But yet there's more and more depth. It's like an iceberg. Sometimes we're just at the tip. We just see the tip and we think, well, I get it. And we don't realize, wow, there is so much more depth to it. And the more we grow and the more we study, we start to grasp the depth the depths of God's word. And so that's why I want to encourage you as you're seeking to be a student of the word and grow in it, realize it's not just new doctrine, but growing deeper in the doctrines you already know, already been taught. And the way that you need to do that is to make sure that you have a daily time in God's word. The biggest reason people are not spiritually mature is because they don't know the word of God. And the reason they don't know the word of God is they're not spending time studying it. 
You know, we can use the excuse that I brought up before. You might, you know, have not been taught well in the church that you've been in or whatever. But at the end of the day, when you stand before the Lord, you know, he's going to ask you, how did you spend time with me? How often did you dig into the word? I've shared many times, we all have the spirit of God dwelling within us. We all have the capacity to understand God's word if we will invest in it, if we will give time to it. Too many Christians are content only being spoon-fed the word of God by someone else. And once again, that shows the infancy stage. Babies, good to food speed them. I remember Scarlett. I remember, ah, let's let her eat herself. Yeah, babies don't get food in their mouth very well. They flash it all over the place, all over you. And, you know, it's kind of fun for the first few minutes until you have to clean it up. But, you know, babies don't feed themselves very well. And so you need to spoon feed them to make sure the food actually gets in their mouth and nutrition gets in their body. Now, spiritually, you know, when you just get saved, it's okay if you're being spoon-fed a lot early on in your relationship with the Lord, but too many Christians are just content with saying, you know what, I'll come on Sunday, I'll come on midweek, and I'll let someone else spoon-feed me. I'll, I'll let someone else do the work of studying and then communicate that to me, and that's the only Bible I'm ever going to get. That's the only information I'm ever going to get. I'm just going to rely on someone else to do that for me. And if that's all you do, if all you do is come here and listen to me or someone else, then you're still in an infant state, baby-wise, spiritually, because you need to get to the place where now you start to feed yourself. And it's both is good. I mean, I'm not saying you don't need to be encouraged by other people, but you need to make sure that you have that balance of not just being spoon-fed, but also being able to feed yourself the Word of God. So if you want to spiritually grow, you got to spend personal time studying the Word of God on a regular basis. And the more time you spend in it, the quicker you'll grow. I mean, I see Christians who have been saved for a year and I'm blown away by the spiritual depth, and it's because they just absorb, they're like a sponge with the Word of God. They spend all this time with Jesus, and you would think, man, you've been saved for five, ten years. Now I've only been saved for one. But then you see Christians who've been saved for five, ten years, and you would think, oh, did you get saved last week? Oh, no, I've been here. going Because you know, they haven't been spending time in the Word. They haven't been growing. And so we need to give our time to the Word of God. Because if you neglect it, the reality is you will not be spiritually mature. So what you feed yourself has a direct impact on your spiritual growth. Now, it's not only what you do feed yourself that's important. It's also what you don't feed yourself that's important. You know, growing up, my mom would never let me eat junk food before dinner. Because she said it will spoil your appetite. I'm sure some of your moms, you know, did that to you. There was cookies and there was chips and there was candy in the house. Oh, mom, I want to eat those. No, you can't eat those. Oh, please, please. No, you're going to spoil your dinner. She didn't want me to eat that because she knew that if I ate that, I wouldn't be hungry for the healthy meal she made for me. And she knew I needed it. So no, you can't have the junk food because the junk food fills up your belly and takes away the appetite for the healthy food. In the same way, spiritually, too often, we're not even hungry for spiritual things because we've filled our life with a bunch of worldly junk. And because of that, we don't want the spiritual food of God. And so we have to understand, if we're filling ourselves regularly with the junk of this world, it takes away the appetite that we need to have for God's Word to grow in Him. And so it's not just what you feed yourself, it's also what you don't feed yourself. So I'm encouraging you, feed yourself the word, stop feeding yourself the junk of this world, and the two hand in hand will greatly enhance the maturity that you receive as you do that. So the first way to see whether or not you're spiritually mature or immature is what you feed yourself. The second way that Paul here brings out that shows whether we're spiritually mature or immature is how you 
act. But as I already mentioned, we need to understand there's a direct correlation between the two because how we act is directly impacted by what we feed ourselves. You see, if you're daily spending time in God's word, it's going to impact how you speak. It's going to impact how you act. It's going to impact how you treat people. Because as you spend time in the word of God, you spend time with God, you start to become more like him. You start to speak differently, more godly. You start to act differently, more godly. But the opposite is also true. If you're constantly filling yourself with worldly junk, if you're reading worldly junk and absorbing a bunch of worldly junk, and you're neglecting the word of God, Don't expect your words to be godly. Don't expect your actions to be godly because what you're feeding yourself is ultimately going to come out. As Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you're filling yourself with will come back out. You ultimately can't hide it for too long. We can put on our mask, but the reality is it's going to come out. So we need to be careful what we're putting in because it impacts the way we act. You can definitely see people, just by watching them, where they're at spiritually. Their actions reveal it. Now, at church, it might be hard the first time you meet them, but you spend some time with them, especially out of a, off, not on a Sunday, and you start to recognize, okay, they, they got a lot of growth, a lot of areas. Now, if they just gotten saved, that's normal. They've been saved for a while, then that's not normal, but we still need to see growth in that. So, The way in which we act reveals whether we're spiritually mature or spiritually immature. So the mark of spiritual maturity, the mark of spiritual immaturity, ultimately comes back to what we feed ourselves and how we act. That's the test. The test we can use to see if we're immature or not. Look at what you're feeding yourself. Look at the way in which you're acting. As we take that test and we shine it on the Corinthian believers, we recognize, okay, they were spiritually immature. Paul's bringing out your actions are very carnal. It's demonstrating your immaturity spiritually. There's envy, there's strife, there's divisions. You're exalting men instead of exalting God. The more time we spend with God, the more spiritually mature we will come become. And the important part of this is the less problems we'll have in the church. You know, we're looking at 11 issues that Paul addresses here to the Corinthian church. And you can bring back every one of these issues to a place of spiritual immaturity. And so when we mature in the Lord, guess what? We sin less. When we mature in the Lord, guess what? We start doing more godly things. And so this is one of the most important things that we can do to overcome the issues that every church has. Why? Because every church is full of a bunch of sinful people. And so we want to mature and become more like Christ so that we can overcome the problems that we all have. So once again, I want to challenge you to ask yourself, am I a mature believer or am I an immature believer? And use this test. You know, what is it I'm feeding myself? How is it that I'm acting? And be real with yourself because if you try to convince yourself you're spiritually mature when you're not, then you probably won't put in the effort that's needed to change and to grow. Do you have a spiritual diet that regularly spends time with God, or do you have a worldly diet that regularly neglects Him? If the answer is, you know what, I am spiritually immature. This is not to say, oh, you're so horrible. This is to say, good, recognize that, and now take steps to change it. 
recognize, yes, I am spiritually immature because I have been neglecting time with God. And so now I need to make time with God a priority. I need to make time in his word a priority. I need to grow so that I can mature. I haven't been doing well in it up till now, but I can change and God can help me do that. And so that's the encouragement of recognize where you are so that you can move forward. Now, if you're saying, yeah, I am spiritually mature, then I would say, make sure you don't forget what you've been doing to get here. Because I see that with a lot of Christians, they kind of plateau and they think, oh, I've arrived, you know, and they've done a lot of great things to get themselves to maturity, but then they start neglecting those things that brought them there, neglecting time with the Lord, neglecting serving the Lord. And they think, well, you know, I'm fine, I'm good. And they're kind of live off the past relationship they have with the Lord. And we need to continue with that because none of us are at a place where we've arrived. We're going to continue to grow and grow and grow. We're never going to be completely like Jesus at least on this side of eternity. And so we want to make sure we continue to grow. So Paul, he's revealed these Corinthian believers have this spiritual immaturity problem, this carnal behavior. And now he's going to try to help them see the foolishness of these actions, the foolishness of exalting men like Paul and Apollos instead of exalting Jesus. Notice what he says in verses 5 through 7. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Paul starts off here with an important question, a question to help these Corinthian believers understand it isn't Paul who's so great or it isn't Apollos who's so great. It is God that is great. He says, who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. Paul's saying, who am I? Who, Who is Apollos? We're just ministers. This Greek word here translated ministers means one who executes the commands of another, a servant, one who attends to another's needs. So when you hear that word minister in the Bible, unfortunately, you know, a lot of pastors take that title ministers, but they don't actually act like ministers because they're supposed to be servants. Uh, and they oftentimes exalt themselves and glorify themselves and want to be served. That's the complete opposite of what the word means. The word's all about serving others. So Paul is saying, you know, Apollos and I, we're just servants of the Lord. You know, a servant in that society, just like in our society, wouldn't be considered someone super special. It wouldn't be someone that you would exalt. It wouldn't be someone that you would have a movement around. It definitely wouldn't be someone that you would build a monument to. But that's kind of what they were doing with Paul and Apollos and Peter. And he's saying, hey, we're just servants. Why are you treating us as something that we're not? You know, if a painter was to be honored, you wouldn't make a statue of his brush or of his palette. You would make a statue of the painter himself because you recognize the brush and the palette. Those are just the tools. What really makes the beautiful art is the painter. The painter is the one that we want to exalt. In the same way, Paul and Apollos were just tools. The artist is God. The one who's doing all the work truly is God. And Paul and Apollos are saying, hey, We're just allowing God to work through us. We're just servants. We're just tools. Don't exalt the tool. Don't exalt the servant. Exalt the painter. Exalt the master. Notice Paul says in verse 5, we are ministers through whom you believed. Notice that Paul and Apollos aren't the ones that the Corinthians believed in. They believed in Jesus. We just brought the message, but we're not the ones who saved you. 
Jesus is. All we did is share the truth of the gospel, but we didn't save you. We didn't die for you. That was something that Jesus did. Paul's reminding them of what he already told them back in chapter 1, verse 13, that we didn't die for you. You weren't baptized into our name. It's Jesus who did that. Paul and Apollos are simply the instruments in God's hand that he used to share the good news of salvation. So Paul's saying, hey, who am I that you should exalt me? Or or who is Apollos that you should exalt him? We are nothing special. We're just servants of the Lord. Verse 6 and 7, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So neither... So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Paul's using a farming analogy here to make a very important spiritual point. When a farmer plants a seed and he waters it, he really doesn't make it grow. The miracle of life that God created within that seed is what ultimately makes it grow. He can, you know, do things that, that help that. He can put it in good soil. He can water it. He can make sure those things are right. But the bottom line is the seed and the fact that it goes from that little seed and comes out whatever the seed is to a tree or to a flower. That's the miracle of life that God has designed. Paul uses this analogy to show us that we do the same thing in ministering to people. Paul was the one who planted the church there in Corinth. Apollos came along and, and watered that church plant, helped feed those people the word of God. But the real important thing that Paul wants us to know from this analogy, it's, it's God who gave the increase. Paul planted, Apollos watered, but the real work was the work of God who gave the increase to this church. So the one who plants and the one who waters are nothing because they can't make anything grow. Only God can make us grow. Only he can save us. Only he can change us. And that's something that we need to understand. So Paul, through this question and through this analogy, wants us to understand how foolish it is to exalt a person and to follow a person over exalting and following Jesus. Because our spiritual growth is not the work of any person. It's the work of God. And I think this is so important to understand because this is one of the biggest reasons we exalt people. Oh, I got saved under your ministry. Oh, you saved me. No, Jesus saved you. That person just shared the good news of the gospel. Oh, I grew so much under your ministry. Oh, you blessed me so much. Is it because of you that I've grown? Is it because of you that I've been blessed? No. You were blessed by Jesus, and he's the one who helped you grow. Yes, he might use people in that process, but ultimately the glory should go to him. Ultimately, he is the one who's done it. God might use people like myself to share the gospel, to teach the word. We always got to remember, we're just tools. It's like Paul, just like Apollos. The one who deserves all the glory, all the honor, all the praise is Jesus Christ. So don't give people the credit for the salvation, for the change, for the growth in your life that only belongs to Jesus Christ. Paul wants to make something very clear. He and Apollos were nothing, and God is everything. And I want to echo that sentiment. I am nothing. God is everything. Don't exalt me. Don't exalt any person in some position of ministry. Ultimately, the only one who deserves exaltation is God himself. Paul goes on to say in verses 8 and 9, 
Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. Here Paul's bringing up another important point so that we don't uh, exalt certain people. He tells us the person who plants and the person who waters are one. What Paul wants us to recognize is something so important. He and Apollos are on the same team. They're ultimately seeking the same goal. They want to see people get saved and grow. And then those people get reach out to other people who can get saved and grow. You know, they're on the same team in the body of Christ. We're on the same team. I get so disheartened by the fact that we, you know, feel like we're in competition all the time with each other. We shouldn't be. We should have the same goal ultimately to reach people for Jesus Christ. And so Paul's saying, Hey, I might have been the planter. Apollos might have been the water, but we're one. We're with the same goal. We want to see people Come to know Jesus and grow in him. You know, this is so silly that some be like, oh, well, the, the planter, Paul, he's the best. That's the one that I follow. No, 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 the waterer, Paulus, he's the best. No, it's silly. They're both seeking to do and working together to accomplish the same goal of reaching people with the gospel. So the fact is planters and waterers, they're both necessary. We need both of them. And they're both there to accomplish the same goal. So we need to recognize, hey, we are one body. We're part of the same team. But just like with any team, there's different roles. There's different things. There's different giftings. We don't all do the same thing, but we're all part of the same team and hopefully seeking to accomplish the same thing. That's one of the important things of last week of sharing the vision that we get on board together, seeking to move forward to reach people together for Christ. So we shouldn't be exalting and following the evangelist or the teacher or the uh, prophet. We want to exalt and follow Jesus and recognize we're all together in doing that. Now, Paul also says in verse 8 that each one of us will receive our own reward according to our own labor. This is interesting. All of us work together, but we're rewarded individually. And notice what we're rewarded based on. We're not rewarded based on the gifts that we have. We're not rewarded based on the talents we've been given. We're not rewarded based on the success of the ministry we've had. We're rewarded based on our labor. And this should be an encouragement to many of you who think, well, you know, I don't have enough gifts or talents or I haven't really seen a lot of fruit in what I've done. God rewards based on your hard work. That's what this word labor speaks of, a hard work. God's going to reward you for working hard for him. It's about that, not the results. And that's so important to remember because guess what? Results are up to him. You can go share the gospel and no one respond. A guy like Billy Graham could go share the gospel. 100,000 people could respond. But you know what? Who's ultimately moving? The Spirit of God. He's the one who's responsible for the results. You're responsible to go share. It's not going to make Billy Graham you know, more faithful because of the results than you who've shared with people who are rejecting you. Actually, in many respects, it's harder to share with people who constantly reject you. But God's asking you to be faithful and a hard worker. You, know, you see two examples of this in Scripture. Jeremiah was one of the most faithful, hardworking prophets in the Old Testament. But if you were to look at what happened in his ministry in our world today, we would definitely say the results weren't good. Because he preached a message that no one accepted and then they killed him. You think, well, that's not really the way you want it to go. You know, you want to see people accept it. You want to see the thing grow. But that was his life. And yet he was faithful to continue with it all the way to death. And then you get a guy like Jonah, who doesn't want to be obedient, 
who doesn't want to follow God. He actually runs away from God. God's got to swallow him by a giant fish in order to ultimately get him to be obedient. But even he's obedient grudgingly. He still doesn't want to do it. And you know what? God saves the whole city of Nineveh through him. And you would think, wow, look at those results. How amazing. Jonah's so great. No. Jonah was a faithless man who did not want to follow what God had. Jeremiah was extremely faithful and hardworking. And I'll tell you this, the blessings and the rewards are going to be different. Jeremiah is going to be blessed and rewarded by God more because of his faithful hard work. And Jonah won't. Because it's not on the results of the ministry, because that's up to God. It's on what you can control, which is the hard work that you give to the Lord. Verse 9 says, We are God's fellow workers. You know, this is something that always encourages me, that God has given us this amazing opportunity to work with him. And I want you to think about that, because really, if God wants to reach people with the gospel, wants to reach people with his word, he could use angels. He could use a lot of people much more effective than us. He could, you know, spell it out in in the sky. I mean, the fact that he chooses to use us, the fact that he wants to have us be partakers of this with him and, and join together with him is such an amazing privilege that he chooses to do that. But also, it's a huge responsibility. And that's where I, I, I get excited about, wow, this is such a privilege to work with God. But on the other side of the coin, we need to not miss the reality of this is a great responsibility, which is why this hard work is so important. Because you give this great responsibility, don't waste it, don't neglect it, don't throw it aside. Yeah, wow, I get to work with God, but let's make sure we're actually doing that and serving with him. Paul ends verse 9 saying, you are God's field and you are God's building. The field is a reference to the farming analogy that he just gave. But now this building is a new reference to a different analogy that he's going to expound upon here in verses 10 and 11. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed to how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul here now moves from the farming analogy to the building analogy. But notice what he first starts off with, which I think is so important. He says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me, I have laid this foundation. Now, the foundation is going to build into this building analogy. But he starts with, it's according to the grace of God that I even have this opportunity, that I even am able to come to you and proclaim the gospel. Paul recognized something so important. I'm not called to this ministry because of something great in me, because I've achieved so much, because I'm so much better than you. I've been called to this ministry for one reason and one reason alone, God's grace which means unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. Paul didn't merit it. He didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. God just gave it to him despite that reality. It's an exalted thing to be a fellow worker with God, but God does not choose exalted people to do his work. It isn't anything in us that makes us worthy to be God's worker. It's only according to God's grace. Corey Ten Boom was a Dutch Christian who helped hide many Jews during the time of the Holocaust and, uh, you know, many people after it and after they heard of her story, she wrote a book called The Hiding Place. You know, they were just very blessed by what she did. But she says this, and I think this is a great lesson for us. People thank me so much, and it used to worry me because I didn't want to get a big head. So I began to collect those compliments like flowers. Thank you, I'd say. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Then at the end of the day, I'd kneel down and I'd say, here you are, Jesus. They're yours. I think this is such a great example to us because when God uses us, like he did Corey Tenboom, like he did Paul, like he did Apollos, there's a, a tendency for people, like we saw in Corinth, to elevate the person, to miss the point, to miss that it's God doing the work, and they think, oh, it's you, and so they pat you on the back, and they say how great you are, and oh, you're so wonderful. And we need to take that like she did and realize, here you go, Jesus. You're the one who really deserves this. I recognize it's not about me. I recognize it's about you. You're just working through me. You're just using me. And if we lose sight of this, then we start believing the praise. We start accepting it. We start thinking, oh, yeah, it is me. Oh, yeah, it is because I'm so wonderful. And that's a great place to get prideful and fall on your face and ultimately hinder the work that God's been doing through you. So through the grace of God, Paul was working, or God was working through Paul Paul says, I laid this foundation for the Corinthian believers. This is so important because whenever you're going to build something, the first thing you got to do is lay a strong foundation. Because if you don't lay a strong foundation, the building can be great, but it's still going to fall down and crumble because the foundation is weak. And so we want to start with a strong foundation. And Paul tells us there's only one foundation to build on. There's only one foundation that has a strength to be built upon, and that is the foundation of Jesus Christ and Him alone. If you're building it on anything else, it's wrong. There's only one foundation. And Paul says, I came with that. I came to you and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he's God, that he died on the cross for your sin, that he rose from the dead three days later to conquer sin and death, and that everything that we build upon is on the foundation of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. If it's not founded on Jesus, guess what? It's not a church. And an important thing to remember is that the church is made up of people. And so as people, we need to make sure we're building on the foundation of Christ. Well, Paul laid that proper foundation of Christ, and now he's going to encourage them, now that I've laid that foundation, and you believed in Jesus and are following Jesus, you need to understand there's a proper way in which to build upon that foundation. So he continues with this building analogy here in verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. Paul here is actually giving a warning to us about how we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ in our life. All of the work that we do in this life is going to be tested by fire. And Paul says there's different elements that are going to go in the fire. There's wood, hay, and stubble. Guess what? When you put wood, hay, and stubble, what happens to them? They burn up. But then there's gold, there's silver, there are precious stones. When they go in the fire, they last. And so Paul says, there's works that you're going to do in this life. Some of them are works that aren't for God. Some of them are works for yourself. Some of them are just to exalt you. And guess what those are? Those are wood. Those are hay. Those are stubble. And at the end of your life, when you stand before Jesus and he examines your work, those are going to be burnt by the fire and there's going to be no rewards for them because they weren't for God. But then there's rewards for those works that you did that are gold, that are silver, that are precious stones, those things that were done for Jesus, those things were for him. The motive was for him. The effort was for him. He's the one who empowered you to do it. And he's going to say, I'm going to reward you for eternity for those. Those aren't going to be consumed by 
the fire. Paul has already told us God is going to reward us for our hard work, but he wants us to know that it's not just any work that God rewards. He only rewards the work that passes the test of fire. It's not just any work. Well, oh yeah, I'm doing all this for you when really I'm just doing it for me. No, God wants work for him, by him, through him. A lot of people in the church today who think just doing a lot, a lot of work is going to bring them rewards. But God's not wanting just quantity of work. He's wanting quality of work. There's specific work that he rewards and there's specific work that he does not reward. So it's not just about doing a bunch. It's making sure we're doing it for him, through him, with the right motivation. Sadly, there are going to be a lot of people who stand before the Lord who think, man, I'm going to have so many rewards. And so much of it is just going to be wood and hay and straw, and it's going to be burnt up. But I want you not to miss something important. Because Paul here, as he's talking about working and he's talking about blessings, he's not speaking about salvation. As I mentioned many times, we do not work for our salvation. Salvation is a free gift. We receive it by faith, not by works. And really, actually, Paul makes this clear in verse 15 when he says, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet is through fire. Picture is kind of like of someone running out of a burning building. They've lost everything, but they themselves are still alive and saved. And Paul says, there's going to be some believers like that when they get to heaven. All that they've done has just been not for God, and so it's burned up. There's not going to be rewards, but yet they're not losing their salvation because salvation isn't based on works. And that's why he says, yeah, they might suffer loss, as in they're not going to get the blessings, but he himself will be saved still. So this is not a salvation issue. So Paul has been using a building illustration, sharing about having the right foundation and building on that right foundation. And now he's going to continue this building illustration by talking about the most important building there was in the Old Testament and the Bible as a whole. Verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple are you? This would have been a, a really powerful thing being said by Paul because the temple, as you know, in the Old Testament is a holy place because it was the place that God dwelt. And there were so many laws when we go through, you know, the Old Testament, you're going to hear more and more things of just making sure that you were pure and right and ready to enter in and only the priests could and, and into the Holy of Holies, only the high priest one time of year because it was a holy place. And if you were to defile that holy place, there was death that came to you. So it was a, a very serious thing. And now Paul shares with us something that's wonderful, but also sobering. You and me, we are the temple of God because the spirit of God dwells within us. What made the temple so great wasn't the gold, wasn't the, the marble, wasn't all the things. It was the fact that God dwelt there. And that's what he's saying. The, the thing that made the temple so holy, the thing that made the temple so great was it was the dwelling place of God. And now, as believers in Christ, we are the dwelling place of God. 
And that's such a wonderful privilege that the Bible talks about, that it's a reward, it's a blessing that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us to help us in so many ways. But it's also sobering because when you think of the the mindset of the temple and the holiness of it, and there are so many things that you could do to defile the temple, and we recognize the Spirit of God dwells in me, and there are so many things that I can do to defile this temple that I have. You know, I think something that we should really think about is whatever you're doing, whatever you're watching, wherever you're at, wherever you go, guess what? The Spirit of God's with you. He dwells in you. I remember growing up, I hated to watch movies when my mom was in the room, especially as I got to become a teenager. And, you know, because if there was swearing, she'd get all upset. But if there was any type of, you know, nudity or just a woman that was, you know, barely dressed, she would flip out and go and try to cover my brother and I's eyes and don't look at that, close your eyes. And it's just, you know, we didn't like watching movies with her because it was just to get extreme about it. Um, but, you know, I think about that. And I think, you know what? I want you to think about the reality of, would you watch some of the stuff you watch if Jesus was sitting next to you? Would you say some of the stuff you say if Jesus was there? Would you do some of the things you're doing if Jesus is there? Because the reality is the Spirit of God dwells with you. He's in you. You never get away from him. It's not like, hey, stay in that other room. I got something I got to do myself over here. No, he's always there. He's always watching. And that should be something that hopefully is a sobering reality that causes us to ask some important questions. I think we should always ask some questions before we choose to do something like, Will what I'm choosing to do defile God's temple? I think it's a great question to ask. Will what I'm choosing to watch defile God's temple? Will where I'm choosing to go defile God's temple? If Jesus was with me, would I watch it? Would I say it? Would I do it? So Paul started this chapter sharing about spiritual immaturity. Then he shared one of the ways the believers were spiritually immature is because they're exalting and following men instead of exalting and following Christ. And now he's going to finish this chapter revealing there's another immature thing they're doing, and that's following the wisdom of men instead of following the wisdom of God. Verse 18 says this, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Paul brings us back to the main issue that he's been dealing with from the end of chapter 1 all the way to now, this contrast between the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man. And he starts off saying, let no one deceive himself. You know, we have a tendency to deceive ourselves into thinking we're wise when we're really not. Yeah, we might be wise from the world's perspective. We might be wise in worldly wisdom. But Paul's speaking of, don't think you're truly spiritually wise when you're not. Verse 18, if anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. You know, this is something we looked at in detail in chapter two and in the end of chapter one of this reality that the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man, they're, they're completely different. And when you're, you know, trying to be wise in the world's eyes, it ultimately hinders you from being wise in God's eyes. When you're following the wisdom of the world, you can't follow the wisdom of God because they're completely different. And so if you're seeking to be wise in the world's eyes, you're not going to be wise in God's eyes, because the wisdom of the world, God says, is 
foolishness. He goes on to say it's craftiness. It's futile. So the question is, will we agree with God's evaluation with the world's wisdom or not? Will we recognize it is foolishness, it is crafty, it is futile. The true wisdom that I want to seek to live by and follow is God's wisdom, not the wisdom that's constantly pushed on me daily through this world. The way we know who we agree with is what wisdom we follow, the wisdom of God or the wisdom of this world. Paul finishes with this. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, are all yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Paul concludes once again, bringing us to the solution to the problem, don't boast in men. One of the reasons there is division that was happening was because people were boasting and following men when they shouldn't have been. As I've already mentioned, and it's a good thing to be reminded of, there's only one person we should boast in and follow, and that is Jesus. Paul ends the chapter telling us there's a lot of wonderful Christian liberties we have because of what Christ has done for us. We've been blessed with so much, but we're, we are Christ's, which shows us there's not only Christian liberty, but there's Christian responsibility. Because we are Christ's, we're to follow him. Because we are Christ, we're no longer our own and shouldn't be living for ourselves. Because we are Christ, there's now a responsibility to grow in maturity and to become more like him because we belong to him. He paid for us by giving his life on the cross for our sins, and he desires us to now follow him and live for him. So this chapter brings the reality that God wants each one of us to grow spiritually, to come to a place of maturity in our spiritual relationship with him. And if you've just gotten saved, you're starting that journey and Make sure you spend time with Jesus every day. Make sure you're getting fed the word of God regularly so that can help your growth. And if you're feeling like I'm in the middle ground, I'm not a baby, but maybe I'm more of a toddler spiritually, I'm moving forward, great. Continue doing those things that will move you to maturity. And if you're someone who's saying, you know what, I've been staying the same for a long time, I can pretty much guarantee if we talked, it's because you're neglecting time with Jesus. You're not spending time in his word. You're not spending time with him. And so make that a priority in your life if you want to be spiritually mature. Can I have the worship team come on up? Paul says there's only one foundation that you can lay, one thing that you can build upon, and that is Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross for our sins, And as we do every first Sunday of the month, we're going to close this morning taking some time to remember Jesus' work on the cross for us by taking communion together. This is an open communion, meaning that it's available for anyone who has accepted Jesus. You've asked for his forgiveness. You've accepted that he's God, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose from the dead. If you've done that, we want to encourage you to partake of this with us. If you have not done that, then we just encourage you as the elements are passed around uh, just to let them pass you by. Uh, but we're just going to take some time. The worship team's going to lead us in a song. We're going to have the elements passed out. Hold on to them. Uh, we're going to take uh, the elements together. Uh, and so we'll just, as the worship goes uh, we'll do that and I'll come back up and we'll uh, close with that